0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Exodus chapter 20. It's good to be back in the pulpit on this Lord's Day, and this is the Lord's Day. Did you know that? It is the Lord's Day, and that's why we've stopped everything that we do for the week to meet together. It is the Lord's Day. Our study is in the Ten Commandments, and we're privileged to have spent several weeks of introduction to this series, and then more Sundays in Uh, studying the first three commandments and today we continue our study by looking at the fourth commandment which is the longest of the ten that is there there is more that is said in support of this commandment than there is of any of the others and this command is unique because it is both positive and negative there are only two commands of the ten that are stated positively and only one this one that is stated both positively and negatively it's given both ways so that there are positive and negative injunctions and then the fourth commandment also comes at the end of the table of the first division of the law the first four are about the relationship that we have with the one true and only god there are no commands that are to be ignored and especially not this one And yet, as I explained in the last message a couple of weeks ago, this commandment is one that is frequently broken by Christians, and yet it's so rarely repented of. And that would tell us then that there are many, many Christians that are walking around today with unconfessed sin because they have failed to obey this command. There is no sorrow, there is no repentance, hardly ever, because of this command. I've talked to people who... Uh, cry wailing tears of regret because they have broken the seventh commandment. And there are those that are sorry that they've broken the eighth commandment. I've even known people who break the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, because they have stolen from the church. And I'm not particularly talking about tithes and offerings, which you would expect. But I've known people that embezzled money from the church, stolen from the church, and yet they came back and they repented of that sin. They were very sorrowful about it. I've even met a man who was repentant about breaking the sixth commandment. A man who shot his wife and murdered her on the steps of the church. And he sorrowed about that. He repented of that. Just recently I learned that he lost his own life while he was in prison. But I've never had a church member who came to my office and broke down in tears and said, I've just missed too much church. I've broken God's commandment. I haven't kept the Sabbath day holy. It's rare that we have anyone, I would say, never that it's happened to me, that anyone came to my office because they had a broken heart and asked God to forgive them for misusing His day. And as I've just said, that means then that there are many Christians that walk around with unconfessed sin. Now, in the introduction to the message that I gave you a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to impress this upon you. And the Lord certainly did impress me to tell it to you that this day is a holy day that God has told you in the longest of the commandments that we are to keep the Lord's day holy. Now, if you'll look at it in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor I want you to notice the first word of this commandment. The fourth commandment, God says, remember. Now, I barely got started with that in the last message. Most of the last messages had to do with introduction. And so the first point of the message the last time was this, that we are to remember the day. And we just got started with that, so I, I want to go on with it today and talk to you a little bit more about what God means by remember this day. Now we learned that remembrance to Israel was to look back at the past. It wasn't just a command that's given here at the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, given to God, to Moses on top of Mount Sinai, then taken down to people who are at the foot of the mount. It's not just a commandment that was to start from that day forward, but this was a look back into the past to a principle that had been very long established. In the 11th verse, we see this, it points it out. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And we learn from this that the Sabbath day is a creation principle, that it is as old as man, because this was given one day after man was created. After six days of the creation, God rested And he said that you are to take this day and to regard it as his, that you must take one day and reserve it for him because he hallowed it. He said, I have sanctified this day, I have blessed this day, and this day is mine. Now we read this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. After the creation, on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. And we notice this in our last message, that God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, observed the Sabbath, that he rested from all the work that he had made. And now God says to these children of Israel, you are to follow my example. Now, it's very hard to argue that there wasn't anyone who worshipped on the seventh day before the giving of the law in Exodus chapter 20. I mean, what sense would it make for God to sanctify the day all the way back at the time of creation and to bless the day and then for God to say, I don't need the day. Uh, You don't need to to pay attention to this day. Now, we know that the people worship the Lord on the seventh day, and God did not hallow the day because he was tired. He didn't do it because he needed rest. A day of rest is not needed for God, as if he was exhausted and had to put up his feet after a grueling week of creating this world. Oh, the Sabbath day was not made for God, it was made for man. And Jesus ended all the confusion about it, about what the Sabbath day was for, when he said that, we, that this day it was made for man, not for God. We need to be refreshed on this day. It's not God who needs it. We need it to be refreshed and to take our minds away from the world and uh, away from our work and to bring our mind back to God. And the best way that we can do that is to honor the day that God gave for the purpose. And so we looked at that and we saw how that in Genesis chapter 2, that God put the Sabbath principle into place. That the world was set up on seven day cycles and that continued until the time that God said to Moses, I want to codify this law that was given at the creation. I want to codify it into the written law. It's not only written on your heart since the creation, but now it is to be written into the moral law. And in that first message I showed you the principle of the Sabbath as a transcendent one. That it existed before the law was given. It survives the law. It survives even the ceremonial laws that Jesus fulfilled at the cross. In other words, I'm trying to say, the Bible teaches us that there is a Sabbath principle today, and this principle continues throughout the church age. It will continue into the millennial kingdom and on into heaven itself, which the Bible describes as a Sabbath rest, the final rest for the people of God. And so I made these arguments to show you that that law of Sabbath rest is still with us today. And we reason this, why would there be only one law of the commandments that God said, you don't have to do this any longer? That Jesus fulfilled this law at the cross, and so you don't need it any longer. We don't hear anything or don't see anything in the Bible where it says you don't have to worry about stealing any longer because there's no law against that anymore. And we know that there's not anything in the Bible that says you don't have to worry about adultery any longer. I don't have any laws against that, God says. No, we have the sense that those are not things that have been done away with when Jesus died on the cross. And the same thing is true when it comes to the Sabbath principle. The, The law of the Sabbath is not ceremonial. It's not given away or done away with when Jesus died on the cross. And so we can't say, as many preachers preach, as many churches teach, that there is no Sabbath principle, that God doesn't care about this any longer, don't pay attention to it. And there are many who say it's not a part of the moral law. It's not written on the conscience as the other laws are. And so we have to ask the question, is that true? Is it true that there is no conscience for the fourth commandment? Well, if you listen to the introduction two weeks ago, and if you listen to what I've just said a few minutes ago, you would think, well, the pastor has crossed himself up. Because there is no conscience about it. At least many Christians don't have any conscience about it. They don't repent because they've broken the Lord's day. There are many people who have unexcused absences on the Lord's day, and we don't find them coming and, uh, and it, with tears of contrition, as I said, repenting to God because they've done it. And so is there no conscience for the Lord's day? Why, why, why would we question this? Or how, how can we say that there, there is a, a conscience when people don't repent of it? Well, I think that we may find the answer in 1 Timothy 4. It provides, I I believe, an answer for us, where Paul wrote, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And I think the last part. There, that last phrase in verse number 2 may be an answer for us. It is possible for the conscience to become seared. When there is continued abuse of the command, the conscience becomes seared like a nerve that's been cauterized. It doesn't feel anything anymore. We've done it so often that the conscience doesn't prick us. That the conscience raises no red flags over the Lord's Day. We've done it so many times that it doesn't bother us any longer. And so the conscience doesn't do any good when it comes to the Lord's Day. Oh, it's like a piece of flesh that's been burned and healed over with scar tissue. It's hard. It has little to no feeling because the nerve endings are damaged. And that's what happens to Christians. It's not... That it wasn't ever a part of our spiritual makeup. It's that we've done it for so long that it just does not prick our conscience any longer. On Sunday mornings, I come to church a little bit before 9 a.m. And I drive by the casino on the way in. And I pass the turn lane that goes into the casino. And that turn lane, almost every Sunday morning, is filled with cars trying to get into the parking lot. By the time I leave on Sunday afternoon and go back home that way, the entire parking lot of the casino is full. And so are we to think that those thousands of people that are at that casino on a Sunday or any other day are fighting attacks of conscience? Uh, Are they they, uh, at war with themselves because it's a Sunday and they're over there gambling? Well, no, there's not any conscience about it. So would we conclude then that because they don't feel a sting of conscience because they're there, that somehow gambling must not be immoral? That there's no conscience against us. Are we to think that because they don't feel anything, that it was never a part of the moral constitution of obedience to God? Well, of course it was. It's just that people override the conscience. They sin so much against God, they can do it, they think, with impunity. The same is true of the sexual revolution. Was there never a conscience about it? Well, you know better. What people did in secret, they wanted to keep in secret. Nobody would talk about it. Now, it's become a source of pride. Why do you think admitting to homosexuality was once called coming out of the closet? Why? Because that was morally reprehensible. But it isn't any longer. And it's because the conscience of the American public has become seared towards that. We're used to it. We're given a constant parade of it everywhere we go. I noticed on television the other night that there's a Kaiser commercial that shows a family that is a gay couple. Is there a television program anymore that doesn't have people that sleep together and doesn't have a gay character as part of the storyline? But there's no attack of conscience over this. They aren't bothered by it because because we've become used to it. Does that mean that there isn't a moral law against it any longer? No, it's in the constitution of man to know that these things are wrong, but the skin of our heart has become tough. It doesn't bother us anymore. We don't worry about it any longer. We don't feel anything any longer. And folks, that's the way it is with the Lord's Day, with the Sabbath, with Sunday, that Christians have treated this day shabbily for so long, they've mistreated it so long, that Sunday's just another day to them. And, and, and stealing a day from God is not a problem for them. One day away from God, That's no problem. Two days away, two Sundays away, three, four, five, that's not a problem. One day, after God created man, he gave him the Sabbath. That is etched into our being. But because of our lack of use of the Lord's day, there isn't any remorse because of it. So we don't feel bad about misusing the Lord's day. And because of that, Christians have lost their moral influence in a world that freely abuses it. I remember a time when I was younger that Christians had enough influence that they stopped stores from being open on Sundays. Do you remember that? If you're as old as I am, they had what was called the Blue Laws. Maybe some of you don't even have any idea what a Blue Law is. The Blue Laws said you can't open up the stores on Sunday. That's the Lord's Day, so we keep all the stores closed. You can't shop on the Lord's Day. But today, Christians become upset if they pull into the parking lot of a store and find out that it's closed on Sunday. I mean, how many of you are upset that you can't shop at Costco on Sunday? As far as I know, they still remain closed, don't they? But if they were to close Walmart, there'd be riots in the streets. I mean, how many Christians do you find in the parking lot of, of Walmart and shopping on Sunday? And that's why I say that Christians have lost their moral influence over this because we treat the Lord's Day like we do any other day. Now, I want you to notice that this command comes as the summation of the first three. These all go together. They all fit together because there is one God. Because there is one true God who is to be worshipped, and because this one true God has a name that is above every other name, time must be taken. A specific day needs to be taken to recognize and to honor Him because He is gracious and merciful to sinners. Now, especially if you are a Christian who understands that you cannot keep any of these laws perfectly, Can't you see the need that you have to stop what you're doing and to glorify God and Jesus Christ who saved you from the condemnation of all these commandments that you can't keep? So can't we stop profaning the Lord's day that he says is holy? And I'll add this. Don't you as a Christian have more responsibility to honor this day than did the Israelites? Oh, you understand much more than they did. You have, you have the revelation of Christ that they didn't have. All they had were types and shadows. They had animal sacrifices. But you have the real thing. You have the Word of God that tells you what Christ did, that Christ sacrificed Himself. You have the promise of the resurrection. You have the promise that He's coming again. You know better than the Israelites knew What God does for us. And the Bible tells us to whom much is given, much is required. And so we stand in greater condemnation than an Israelite who did not obey this law. And do you remember what God said to the Israelites? If you don't obey this law, what will happen? He said a person who is within the borders of Israel who did not keep the Sabbath was to be stoned. Now, thank God we don't live under a theocratic government any longer because we wouldn't have enough people to have a church service. All of us would be buried under a barrage of stones. God says, remember this day, keep it holy. Well, that naturally leads to another question. How do we remember this day? Are we to keep the same day? Are we to keep the same Old Testament day of Sabbath? And while you're remembering that, you need to remember that Sabbath does not mean Saturday. That Sabbath means rest. The Sabbath is a day of rest. It doesn't mean Saturday. But of course, we do know this, that the day of worship in the Old Testament was the seventh day. That corresponds to our Saturday. So the commemoration is the seventh day. That's the day that God rested. That's the day that he stopped creating. It was ended and he rested. So that question comes up, are we still to worship on Saturday? Because that's the day that's given originally in the creation. And that's the day that was honored when Moses gave the Ten Commandments. So that's a very, very good question to ask. It's been often asked throughout church history. And there have been some who insisted that the Saturday Sabbath must still be kept. There are even some so-called Seventh-day Baptists that go to church on Saturday. When my wife and I first moved to California, we lived in Angwin, which is up on the eastern side of Napa Valley above St. Helena, and that is a town of Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, There's an Adventist college there, and on Saturdays, the whole town closes up. What little of that town there is, the whole town closes up. Not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse, except in the Adventist church, it's full of people, not mice, I don't think, but there's lots of people there. They go to church on on Saturday. Are they right about that? Is that what we should do? Should we be meeting on Saturday instead of Sunday? Well, Adventists love to meet on Saturday because they love salvation by the law. So that's a, a huge tip to begin with, a tip off. So what was that Saturday Sabbath for? And why are they saying that we should continue to worship on Saturday? Well, I think you understand this, that... That Saturday marked the end of creation. It honored God's creation. And of course, creation is monumental. I mean, how would you ever top the celebration of the creation? Greatest thing that ever happened in the world, they think. But let's let's look at it for a moment. Is there something that greater that happened that's greater than the creation that would cause this day to be changed and tell us that we should worship on Sunday rather than Saturday? Well, first I would say that it's God who has the right to change the day if he wants to. It's his day. He's the one that created it. He can change it. And we look at this and we think, well, who is God? We understand that the great I am of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ in the new. We find this out in John chapter 1 and in Colossians chapter 1 where it says that Jesus Christ is the one who, Who created all things, and by him all things consist. And so Jesus Christ is the creator. Now let's take a look for just a moment at a statement that Jesus made that stunned the Jews. I want you to understand that the heart of the Jewish religious system was the Sabbath. I mean, this is the main controlling issue of everything that was Jewish. Their whole religion was wrapped up in the Sabbath day. That's the main controlling doctrinal issue. Jesus was crucified for this very reason. It's because of what he did on the Sabbath. Now, if you didn't know that, but it's what Jesus did on the Sabbath that was the critical factor that caused him to be crucified. Now, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 12 for just a moment. And I want you to uh, peruse the first part of this chapter as I speak. And this story is about Jesus and his disciples who were out on the Sabbath day and they were walking through a wheat field. Now, that's the first thing that you could mark down significance about the story is that Jesus and the disciples had violated the Jewish understanding of the Sabbath because they had traveled longer, a longer distance than what the Jews said, the allowed distance that you could go on the Sabbath day. Now, that that was just part of the Pharisaical law that had been put into place that was not in the Word of God. The Pharisees invented that part. Now, in verses 1 through 8, Jesus gave a scriptural argument for why it was okay for his disciples as they went through the wheat field to pick some heads of wheat as they went through. And of course they did that to satisfy their hunger. So you can mark that down as another reason the Jews were very upset. They were angry because Jesus and the disciples had picked the grains of wheat on the Sabbath day. And then you go to verse number 9, and you find that Jesus healed a man with a withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And that cut the Jews deep because he did this in their place of worship. And the Jews were even more upset. And then Jesus gave them another scriptural argument for why it was all right, why it's okay to heal a man on the Sabbath day. And now if you look at verse number 14, it says, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Now do you see this? It was, it was what Jesus did on the Sabbath that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Oh, they were angry about many things that he did. But when he so clearly violated what they thought were the laws of the Sabbath, that drove them crazy so they could think of nothing other than, how are we going to get rid of him? We have got to kill him. And you know what was the absolute worst thing that Jesus said? It's found in verse number 8. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. So Jesus said to these Pharisees, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And who is the one who's the Lord of the Sabbath? Well, the only one who can be is the one who made it. It's only the Creator who can say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He alone can say, this is my day. By divine fiat, He has hallowed this day. And so the Jews went nuts over that because Jesus was very clearly telling them that He was the Creator God. And so then, who has the right to change the Sabbath day? Well, I would say it's the Lord of the Sabbath, wouldn't you? I would say he's the one who has the right, and Jesus did. Jesus gave us a new day. Now, you can mark this down as well, that the new day that Jesus gave is also a day of creation. Or rather, we can say that it's a day of re-creation. How? Well, it's because he was crucified, buried, and arose from the grave on Sunday. And on that day, he enabled people to become New creatures. He brought into existence the rebirth of man. His death, his resurrection, guaranteed that people could be born again. That's a spiritual rebirth. It's a spiritually dead man who comes to life again by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And how did that happen? And I would have to tell you that it took a greater work than God speaking this earth into existence. A greater work than the creation itself. It took an act that was beyond monumental, beyond God just speaking words. For this to happen, for this recreation to happen, it meant that God immensity must pack Himself into a sperm and to impregnate a Galilean virgin. For this to happen, God had to transform Himself into a human body and become a God-man. For it to happen, He had to humble Himself and be made in the likeness of human flesh and then suffer the humiliation of dying on the cross." For man to be recreated, Christ had to die. He had to bear the sins of man on that cross. He had to have the reproach of sin put on him in such a way that his own heavenly Father had to reject him, to forsake him for what he was, to turn his back on him. The Godhead was put into a place of disfellowship. No no one can ever fathom what happened within the Godhead. Even the angels themselves can't understand what happened. Jesus suffered and died on the cross, and He gave up His life. And after that horrible suffering and beating and torture of the cross, He died. And worst of all, during that time, he, He suffered the spiritual abandonment of His Father. And then when He was through with the suffering of hell on that cross, He willingly gave up His Spirit and He died. And then He was put into the tomb, and three days later, He took up His life and He came out of the tomb. And the day that he came out was Sunday. His body came back to life on Sunday. And the resurrection was the proof that God had accepted the sacrifice. And now man was redeemed. So the new recreation of man was done. Sin was atoned. And now man was guaranteed his rebirth. Now friends, that's greater than the original creation. God could not speak this. God had to actively do it. God couldn't say it. He had to live it. He had to die it. And then he had to come back to life to make this happen. The creation of the universe cannot touch what Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now if you think that people can't understand the act of creation, God creating the world, and they don't, how much greater is the mystery of how God could do this? how that god himself be- could become man and die on a cross and then raise from the grave take his life back there's a world of things that you can't understand about the death and the resurrection of jesus christ and the salvation of man and christ came out of that tomb on sunday he could have come out on saturday couldn't he wouldn't have that wouldn't have that just been perfect in our in our way of thinking that would be just perfect he could preserve the saturday sabbath He could put his stamp on that day because he's God. The crucifixion could have taken place a day earlier. Three days later, he would have arisen on Saturday. And so then we would worship on Saturday. The Saturday Sabbath is preserved. And we think, well, how appropriate that would have been. Because then he would say to the Jews had said to him, you can't do this stuff on Saturday. You can't do this kind of thing on the Sabbath. You can't roll away stones on Saturday. Imagine the work involved in that, moving that huge stone. You can't do that on a Saturday. Oh, that had been so galling to the Jews if Jesus had risen from the grave on a Saturday. But he didn't. He arose on Sunday, and that's because he had bigger fish to fry than the Pharisees. And what he was doing was giving them a greater work than creation to commemorate. That his resurrection day was a bigger day than the entire Jewish religion. They're wrapped up in the Sabbath. But what he did was so much bigger than their religion that he separated another day and he killed their false piety of observing the Sabbath. And so he came out of that tomb on Sunday and he changed the day. He authorized a new day. And then on that same day, Jesus appeared on a Sunday. He appeared to his disciples at night. And for all of you that missed Sunday night services, just think what you would have missed in that first Sunday night service. Then he appeared... A little later, on Sunday night, remember that? And again, you don't come on Sunday nights, what are you going to miss? Well, the disciples had no trouble understanding this, did they? They knew that they were to begin meeting on the first day of the week. So we find it in Acts 20, verse 7. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. They met on Sunday. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. The disciples gathered up their offerings on Sunday, the first day of the week. And why? Because that's the day they met. That's the day they came together for worship. They understood it. John received his magnificent revelation of Jesus Christ on the Lord's day. Revelation chapter 1, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What day could he have meant? Well, what's in his mind there? Was it any day of the seven? Was it just a generic day? Aren't all days the Lord's day? Well, not in the sense that he says here. He meant something very specific about it, that he was preparing himself for Sunday worship. He was preparing himself to meet with the other's disciples on the common day that they met, which was the first day of the week. And that's when when he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then we have the convincing proof of history that the day has been changed. We know that the disciples stopped their meetings on Saturday. They began to worship on Sunday. They did that in the first century. That held true in the second century, in the third century, into the fourth century, and on down today in the 21st century. Christians understand that we are to worship on this day, on Sunday, which is the Lord's day. And so we know that this is the day that God has sanctified holy. And that's why we say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We will be glad and rejoice in it. This is the day that we are to remember. Now let's return for just a minute to the thought of greater responsibility. The week of creation was truly a great week. We wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for the creation. Israel was told to set the day aside, the seventh day, for worship. And they honored that day because the day acknowledged what God alone can do. And the Saturday rest was different for them. Uh, I mean, as a nation, they they stood out for this observance. Heathens had their days of worship, but it's not because of what God did in the creation. Uh, They didn't have the same kinds of prohibitions upon them for... Uh, observing a, a Saturday Sabbath. For example, you remember when Moses told the people of Israel, he says, don't go out on the Sabbath day to pick up manna. There won't be any. Don't go out and gather sticks on, on the Sabbath. You're not, you're not to do that. But the other nations didn't have these kinds of Sabbath laws in the same way the Jews did, and certainly not the ones that the Pharisees added. They didn't think of being as strict about the day of worship. Now today in Jerusalem, you go and you can't, push a, you can't push a button on a Shabbat elevator. Remember, I've told you that story about the uh, the elevators and places like the hotels in Israel, that when you're there on the Sabbath day, you go into the hotel, you don't have to push the buttons on the elevator. There in the, the center elevator, usually if there's more than one, will be a, a Shabbat elevator. And on that in that elevator, you don't push buttons. When you get on it, it's going to take you forever if you're on the top floor because that elevator is going to stop at every floor, and the doors will open whether anybody's there or not, and that's so people don't have to push the buttons. Pushing the buttons is work, and you don't work on the Sabbath. And so the elevator goes up and down, and the doors open on every floor. Well, those are the kinds of things that the Jews put into place. They were ridiculous with their laws. The Pharisees outdid themselves themselves. On their Sabbath laws. And those strict laws were given. Because God was telling his people. That they are different people. They don't act like the rest of the world. That God's people are a peculiar people. And so the Sabbath day was a separating day. It was a day that set them apart. From the rest of the world. And they celebrated the work. That the one true creator God did. And so we look at that, and we think about how they hallowed the day, how it was so specific for them, and we wonder, how does that translate into the lives of Christians today? What are we to do about the Sabbath? And then we are to to think about this. Is the redemption of the soul of man, isn't that a greater thing than what happened in the creation? Isn't it greater what the Lord God has done for us in saving us from our sins? Aren't there greater events that we are aware of that would cause us to hallow the Lord's Day as much or more than the Jews did? And so you need to think about this. What do you do on the Lord's Day? Do you make a statement that you're different from everyone else? Don't you acknowledge that Christ did something for you that He didn't do for unbelievers? And I know that you can argue that statement if you want to, but if you've been saved by the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, are you not willing to admit that God has done something for you that He hasn't done for the most of the people that are in the world? And aren't Christians to be a separate people? Are they no longer peculiar? Well, the Bible says that they are. Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So what happens when you don't honor the Lord's day? What if you treat the Lord's day like any other day? Aren't you doing despite to His day? Don't you discount the resurrection of Jesus Christ if you do? Well, let me put it to you more simply in case you didn't get those arguments. Observance of the Lord's day is a witness to this lost and dying world. The act of going to church On the Lord's Day is a testimony to everyone that Jesus Christ is Lord. It says that you believe. It says that the resurrection of Christ was for you, and that you honor Christ as a witness for Him. Now you think about it, that the Seventh-day Adventist cuts across the grain of normal religious practice to make a point that he'll risk all the weird looks that people give because he's doing something different. He goes to church on Saturday, and people look at that and they say, well, that's a crazy thing to do. You don't go to church on Saturday. You go to church on Sunday. But he's willing to do that because that's something that makes him different. He's willing to stick his neck out and look like a fool to the rest of the world because that says that he's different. That's the one thing that he can do to mark himself off as being different from anyone else. And so, are we, as true Christians, not able to show as much dedication to the truth of God's Word? And you think about Roman Catholics, who by the thousands will attend Mass because they think that their attendance in the Mass is going to save them. Don't we at least have as much dedication to the truth of God's Word, to the true saving grace of Jesus Christ? Look, look Look! at this verse. It's on the front of your bulletin. Just pull out your bulletin. Look at the, first, the verse right on the front. It says, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. God says to his people, You're different. You're different from everybody else. This day shows, this Sabbath shows that you're different. Sunday is not your day. I wonder, what what, what else can I say? What, what more can I say to impress upon you that this is not your day? This is the Lord's day. An Israelite got the point very quickly. If he did this, if he didn't honor the Lord's day, if he, did, if he didn't do it, that sto- those stones were thrown at him for this uh, misunderstanding. Of not doing what he was told to do. And I wonder what's it going to take for us? What will it take for us as Christians? How are we going to learn the lesson of this? Will you not surrender God's day to him? And you need to understand that there's a day of reckoning that's coming. Sooner or later that day of reckoning will come. Because here we are. We're involved in the commandments. The ten. These are the chief commandments that god gave that cover all possible scenarios in some way or another they're going to cover everything that we do and there's a day of reckoning for breaking these commandments and so i hope that in two messages that i've at least got this much across to you That you must remember the day. And when we say remembrance, that means observance. You are to observe the day. You can't blow the day off. This is a command, just like one, two, and three. It comes as the fourth at the end of the first table of the law. This is all about respect for who God is. You can't come to the end of the table of the law, these first four commandments, and say, I don't need to respect who God is. I had a man who called me just this morning. And asking questions about the Ten Commandments. He'd seen our sign outside. And he said, I understand that you're teaching on the Ten Commandments. And he said, I'm interested in one commandment that you're teaching about. When are you going to do this? What's the date that you're going to preach on Thou Shalt Not Kill? And he had uh, several reasons why. I won't go into it. Why he wanted to know about Thou Shalt Not Kill. And the thing I told him before the conversation was over. You can't start with commandment number six. You've got to start with commandment number one. You'll never understand the rest of them until you start with commandment number one. Who is God? Your opinions don't matter. What you think about things don't matter. What you think about 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, they don't matter because only who God is matters. And if you don't interpret everything that's said after who God is, then you're not going to understand any of it. You're not going to get any of it right. And if you don't get number one right, then you will make yourself God, and your opinions are going to be what counts for you. And so when you come to thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not do this or that, it's all going to be about you and what you think you've got to end it right with commandment number one and say, right here I'm surrendering to who God is. And so you keep these commandments, this fourth commandment, because of who God is. You don't have the right to change it. You don't have the right to abridge it. You don't have the right to say, we don't have to do this any longer. As hard as your heart may be, as hard as your conscience has been seared against it, you don't have the right not to worship on the Lord's day. I didn't say it, God said it. If I said it, go in one ear and out the other. But if I'm repeating what God says, listen to it and do it. A day of reckoning is coming. And so I hope in two messages you got point number one. Remember. Remembrance means observance. Somehow our minds don't meet on it. And so I suspect that some of you will go on as before. I'm very thankful for those of you that are here. We had a lot of empty seats today. And uh, I'm not judging uh, motives or reasons why people might not be here today. I wasn't here last Sunday. I was in church last Sunday, but I wasn't here. So I don't know what everybody's doing today. But I do know this, that God is displeased if we take his day to do our own things. If we dishonor his day, if that's a regular habit and practice, then God's not pleased. Now what we have left to discuss then is another really big question, or several big questions. And that is, how are we to keep the Lord's day? What what does the Bible mean by rest? Are are there any activities that you can do on the Lord's day? How, How do you preserve the holiness of God's day? Who does the day represent? So we have more to go. We have a lot of things to discuss about it. God gave more in defense of this commandment than he did of any of the others. That is a significant thing. And that's why we're spending so much time on this. Now remember then how important that this day is to God and then remember how important that it should be to you. And it should be because you are a born again child of God and you are to respect His commandments. You are to be obedient to the Lord. This is what He says. Remember the day. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you on this day, a Sunday, the day that we are to reverence and to keep holy because it belongs to you. And Lord, as we look at that, we have come to the understanding that you didn't need the day, not because you were tired, because you had to have rest, because it was just too hard for you to do, to create the world and all the things that you did. But you made this day as a day that's good for man. You made it as a day that would help us. It would help us spiritually. It helps us physically. We do need to look at that. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a day. Lord, we pray that we would do with it what we should do to honor you, glorify you with it because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master, and the great work of redemption that he's done for us. Sunday allows us to be recreated, to be born again, If it hadn't been for what happened at the cross, the resurrection, on the first day of the week none of us would be talking about heaven none of us would be talking about anything but a eternity in the depths of a hell that is so hot we can't even describe it of torture so terrible we don't can't even fathom it lord we've been saved from that from the grace and mercy of jesus christ can't we take the day to honor you as you said to do it lord speak to our hearts convict us of this and Although I said that I've never seen anyone come in repentance because they missed the Lord's day. I pray, Lord, that all of us would change. That all of us would see when, when we don't honor the day as we should. That that needs to be repented of as surely as any other sin that we commit. Help us, Lord, to see the importance of it. We pray for those who may be here today who don't have any understanding of this at all. They're not saved. They don't understand why this means so much to us. I can't convince people of it. Only the Holy Spirit can open up a person's heart to reveal to them Jesus Christ and the importance of the words that have been spoken today. I pray, Lord, you would open the heart of some lost sinner today. We give you the praise for that. Thank you, Lord. We want to remember your day and keep it holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church,